Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and while I'm a skeptic by nature, I do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. Join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I will present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. Join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode takes us out to Omaha, Nebraska, and I will be covering Hummel Hummel Park is a beautiful secluded oasis that's just about a 15-minute drive north of the city of Omaha. You might want to come here to escape the hustle and bustle of the city, maybe have a picnic lunch, a light hike, or just sit by the water relaxing. What you might not know, though, is while you're doing all of these things, you are in a notoriously haunted park. So you might want to think about not going here alone especially at night. As many things happen from paranormal sightings to reports of satanic cults. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk a little bit about the park itself first. Before it was a park, this land was settled by two indigenous tribes, the Otoe and the Omaha tribe. These tribes were slowly pushed out as American settlers started pushing west and arriving in places such as Omaha, Nebraska. These settlers built their homes in the area as well as there was two trading posts that ended up being in the Omaha area that were used to supply travelers coming through with items they might need on their journey as they kept pushing west. One of these settlers was a man named Joshua Brown. He actually acquired the land that would one day be Hummel Park in the year 1884. Joshua Brown and his family ended up clearing some portions of the land here so that they could farm for things that they would need. But they've kept most of the hardwoods intact, especially the oak and walnut trees. After Joshua passed away, some of the land was donated to the city so that they could establish a city park. With this land donated by Joshua Brown's family and land donations from a few other residents, the city had enough land to make the park. So they decided to build beautiful Hummel Park on the 202 acres that they had acquired. With the generous donation from Joshua Brown and his family, you would think that the park would be named after him. But surprisingly, it wasn't. And it wasn't for lack of wanting, as the area residents wanted to name it after him, but thought it would be too confusing, as there was actually already a park named Brown Park in Omaha. So they decided on another name, and it was named after a man named Joseph Hummel. Joseph Hummel was one of the long-running superintendents in the Omaha, Nebraska Park and Recreation Department. And he was described as, quote, the best and most faithful park superintendent the city has ever had, end quote. 
he was well known for what he did to remember the World War II veterans following the war. Hummel honored each fallen soldier by planting trees along the streets in Omaha, Nebraska. This made it so when they wondered who they should name the park after, veterans' families flocked to recommend Hummel's name, and here we have Hummel Park. The park is still very heavily wooded, but there are 10 hiking trails throughout that range anywhere from easy to advanced. And some will even allow you to walk along the creek at the park and see views of the Missouri River in the distance. You also have your typical park staples here. There are playgrounds, picnic areas, shelters, there's a horseshoe pit, and they even have an 18-hole disc golf course for you to enjoy. The park started a day camp in 1949 that actually still continues to this day, and there's also now a nature preschool and a nature center you can visit, so lots to do here. This is probably why thousands of people visit this park each year. And while it's still usually pretty low-key during the day, it's said that at dusk or in the evenings, this place becomes a hotbed of paranormal activity. It's actually been said that this park is arguably the most haunted place in the entire state of Nebraska. So it's finally time for the spooky stories to start, so make sure you have the lights on and try not to get too scared. And on that note, let's start with the Devil's Slide. No, this is not a slide on one of the playgrounds, and I definitely wouldn't recommend you using it as a slide. Because it's not actually a slide at all, but it's the site of a scenic overlook in the park. The area of Devil's Slide is a natural cliff where you can enjoy some pretty spectacular views. And if you aren't careful, these views might be the last thing that you ever see. Erosion has washed away vegetation from the cliff's edge, making it quite unstable. And this can lead to crumbling earth beneath your feet and unexpected drop-offs. Sadly, this is why it's called Devil's Slide. It is because many have lost their lives down this cliff. And even more upsetting is it is said that this is a popular place for people to take their own lives. This could be why the echoes of screams are heard in this area, as well as the appearance of orbs and full-on apparitions. We could also be hearing a residual haunting event or a spirit trying to tell us something, like maybe they didn't actually take their own life. The orbs may also be a visual representation of this lost soul who passed away in the area. Scattered near here, as well as on another overlook, are stone altars. And one of the overlooks actually has a set of two of these matching altars at the end of a stone path leading straight to them. What could these altars be used for? Well, there are many reports that these altars are used for satanic cult rituals, 
including the burning of items and even the sacrifice of animals. Today, the park uses these altars for less nefarious purposes, such as overnight camping events and fires, but they apparently still have to share them with Satan's minions. Staying on this overlook where you can see the Missouri River is actually a grave. And this grave dates back to the year 1936, when a work crew stumbled upon some human remains. The remains were sent to an archaeologist who determined the bones belonged to a war veteran. No one knew how this veteran had died or how he got there, but they wanted to pay honor to this man. The local Boy Scouts made the final decision, and that was his grave should be honored in the park on the Missouri River Overlook where he was found. The question is, was he murdered here? Was his spirit disturbed when his grave was, and now he can't be laid to rest? I don't know. Now, let's back away from the overlooks and the cliff and get somewhere a little safer. Then again, depends on what your definition of safer is. As to get to our next location, the Devil's Den, we have to walk down a long flight of stone steps. Now, no groaning, yes, I hate steps when I'm hiking too, but hey, you gotta do it to get down to the next location, so let's get going. But keep in mind, this flight of steps isn't just your normal set of stairs. These are known as the morphing stairs. And I know your first question might be, how many steps do I have to do? Well, this question is a little tough to answer. These steps have a similar vibe to the steps we encountered in my episode on Morgan's Corner in Hawaii, way back in season one. These steps are called the morphing steps because they are said to literally morph, making it impossible to count the number of steps. If you count one number on the way up, the number coming down is always different and sometimes by way more than just one or two steps. According to the legend, it's actually a good thing to have a different count of the steps up and down, because if you don't, you could be in serious trouble. And that's if the lore is to be believed, that if you count the same number of steps, both ascending and descending, that means your death is coming very, very soon. Then again, sometimes you will get lucky in this situation. As in some instances, the devil will actually appear in front of you. And he is usually pretty cool about things and will grant you your heart's desire for counting the steps correctly. Sounds great, right? Like the devil is your personal wish-granting genie. Well, remember, this is the devil. So you will get your wish, but he always wants something in return. And what he wants is, of course, your soul. I'm not sure what would happen if you refused his offer, but I really can't imagine it being anything good if you refuse Satan of what he wants. So 
So let's get down these dips as quickly as we can, though keep in mind it is over 150 steps, so I hope you're wearing some good, comfortable shoes. Once you get to the bottom of the stairs, you will be in the Devil's Den. This place ups the creepy factor by a lot of notches. Once you reach the bottom of the morphing steps, you will see a big open area with an old rundown shelter. And this area is said to be where most of the cult practices happen. Inside this decaying shelter are the spray-painted markings of those who practice the occult. This includes drawings of pentagrams, swastikas, and other lewd pictures and remarks. This alone might make you question whether this is just graffiti artists maybe just having a little fun. But the dead animal carcasses left behind may paint a different story. The satanic rituals may have opened a doorway into the unknown and possibly allow the paranormal occurrences to flow into our world. But satanic rituals may not be the only reason for what people experience here. As I mentioned earlier, there were two indigenous tribes that lived in the area, and it is reported that the park was actually built on their sacred land, and part of it is over one of their burial grounds. Building over their sacred land and the bodies of their dead may have angered the gods and spirits of the indigenous people, ending with the occurrences that we have today. The park is mostly forested and lends The park is mostly forested and that lends to it being pretty creepy, especially at night. But it's not only what's heard and seen in the forest. Some say it's the trees themselves, especially along one main path of the hiking trail. The trees and the foliage along this path actually lean heavily bowing inwards. And this strange phenomenon has been noted by many walking on the path, leading them to wonder why. The terrible story of why these trees bow inwards towards the path is pretty devastating. It begins in the 1900s when racism was especially rampant. It is said that during this time, black residents of Omaha were singled out and taken to this area of trees in the woods. There, they were the victims of hate crimes and were hung from the trees till they died. The reason these trees are said to bend in is because the trees are still weighted down by their victims, spirits, and souls to this day, as they want to bring attention to the terrible tragedies that happen here so that we can remember what was done to these people. There are some reports that claim to see the apparitions of these spirits still hanging from the trees today. So, are these souls also the reasons for the screams heard echoing through the woods, for the orb seen? And that's not the only thing the woods are hiding. Something might be lurking in them that is very, very strange. 
and this legend has been spoken of since at least the 1950s and endures to this day. And that is the report that there is a colony of albino people that have made the woods in Hummel Park their home. Some state that this colony is family, and others state that they are homeless people. So, if they're all albino, I'd assume there would be some kind of familial relation between them. The reports state that these people are pretty reclusive and do not want to be disturbed. So if you come across them, you should be extremely careful. They are known to be very violent, and some reports state that they aren't picky about what they eat, meaning they wouldn't say no to human meat. Yes, the reports state that they are cannibals. These cannibals may have murdered and eaten someone here in the park, which could be another reason for the screams being heard, even though the source can't be located. And speaking of murders, this park has seen a lot as far as dead people. One specific apparition scene is a man dressed in an outfit that would be typically worn in the early 1900s, not in the 2000s. When seen, though, he's kind of shy as he usually quickly disappears into thin air. And this is believed to be the spirit of a man named Jacob Klatenau. Jacob and his wife Lucinda moved to Omaha from Germany. And when they got here, they built a cabin there in the woods well before it was Hummel Park. Lorinda stayed at home while Jacob farmed the land, but this gave her plenty of free time. In that free time, she eventually met a man who promised her more than Jacob could ever give her. She couldn't just leave Jacob, though, as divorce was very frowned upon at this time. And she decided the best thing to do was make Jacob disappear. Lorinda ended up killing Jacob, buried his body in the woods on their property, and fled with her new lover. Since that time, people claim to hear the wailing of John. He can be heard calling out, Where is Lorinda? And, Don't leave me. Jacob's body and Lorinda were never found so his spirit has never received closure. Maybe that's why people are seeing his apparition wandering. He could be looking for Lorinda. And a residual haunting of Lorinda may be why people hear footsteps and strange noises in the woods. Maybe we're hearing the sounds of a shovel digging, dirt flying, or even the thud of Jacob's body being pushed into the dirt. Creepy park so far, right? It makes you want to think about hiking somewhere else. And the scary thing is, this isn't even the end. I have other tragic events that could be associated with the hauntings as well. But before I cover these, let's take a little fact-checking break. As there's so much going on with the park, I didn't want to save it all for the end. Let's start with the Devil's Slide. There have been no reported suicides here in any newspaper articles I perused since 1930. 
I could also find no reports of a murder or anything really happening with that cliff. But what about the body of the dead soldier buried on the Overlook in 1936? First off, I could find nothing in the records of the Omaha newspapers, and it was easy to search through as their archives are all online. Secondly, the man was never named in any of these accounts of the body uncovered, which I guess could be feasible depending on how long the body was there, if they weren't able to identify him. But there are two parts of this story that make absolutely no sense to me. The Boy Scouts are said to be the ones who chose where his body would be buried. And it seems strange that the city would put this decision into the hands of a bunch of kids. Not the city or the war veteran group. Nope, the Boy Scouts. Though even more strange is why they would bury some random guy in the local park and not the local cemetery. There are pretty strict laws about where and how you can bury a body, and local parks don't usually meet these requirements. And another little strange side thought is his body was sent to be tested by an archaeologist, which you would think it might be like a forensic scientist or something, but who knows. Now on to the satanic altars. The altars are not actually altars for satanic worship. They were built in the 1930s by the park in lieu of fire rings. Though, I can't say 100% for sure that they weren't used for any creepy rituals over the past almost 100 years. Now this brings us to the morphing steps and their freaky, ever-changing number. Well, there are 188 steps up and down. And there's now even the number of steps written on the top step. The steps are very uneven and irregular, which could definitely lend to some counting errors by one or two, depending if you go up or down a different way. Like say you walk down on the right side, and then when you walk up, you walk on the other side. Could be a little different. If you remember, at the end of those stairs is the devil's den and we come to that old decaying shelter. Well, this is a park shelter that is in pretty good condition. It just gets graffitied all the time. It's not dilapidated, and it is still used today. I found no actual news stories about any animal sacrifices other than urban legends in any articles or reports. And the graffiti, it does contain some creepy symbols, such as swastikas and pentagrams, but that's not uncommon in any graffiti-prone area that attracts vandals, especially locations that are said to be haunted. But let's move on to the lynching tree. There are no records in Nebraska of this ever taking place. I did find records of a handful of lynchings that did happen in the state of Nebraska, but they didn't happen anywhere near here in Hummel Park. That's not to say the trees don't bow in. I mean, they do. And I will post pictures on social media. 
I just don't think they look much different from most tree lines that go on a path outside of a forest. They probably bow in away from the forest to access the sunlight from the cleared path, which, again, you'll see in most forested areas that have a clearing. That brings us to the albino cannibal people. This is probably one of the most outlandish accounts I have come across in my stories. First off, albino people are not creepy. They're people like you and me. The only difference is they have less pigment in their skin and hair, so it's pretty offensive to label them as scary because of this pigmentation difference. Secondly, if this group of cannibal albinos has been lurking in the woods for over 70 years, where are they? There are no pictures or accounts other than rumors that have evolved over the years. And the cannibal accounts didn't even come into play until most recently. This park is frequently visited and very busy. So I doubt the day camp would allow kids to be playing here in the woods if they were filled with pale cannibals. And my last thought on this is, it's hard to hide in the woods if you're very pale skinned. And I'm assuming that these cannibal people would probably be naked. So it'd be pretty easy to spot them in the woods. And again, we don't have any pictures or evidence of their existence other than some oral tales over the years. That brings us to the last story to cover up to this point, and that is the story of poor Jacob, who was murdered by his wife, Lucinda. I looked up newspaper articles as well as ancestry records, and the only person I found matching his name and in the state of Nebraska at all didn't live in Omaha or anywhere near this park. Also, that man's wife's name was Mabel, and he died of old age. So this is likely a legend as well, unless this is just a story of really, really poor record keeping, which isn't out of the realm of possibility at this time. But lastly, the reports of sacred lands and burial grounds in the park have not been confirmed. The local tribes do not recognize this statement and nothing has ever been unearthed. Just because an indigenous tribe lived in an area does not make every acre sacred and every acre a burial ground. I cannot accentuate that enough. So, now that I've gotten through many of the haunted areas and fact checked, let's get into the proven and factual accounts that could account for the apparitions, screams, orbs, and the strange sounds. I will go in order by the dates that these happened. And I will start by saying there is a rumor that in 1933, a radio repairman was murdered here in Hummel Park. But again, there are no newspaper reports or any name ever associated with this so-called murder. So I'm going to move on to October 11th of 1947. A man named Harold Schluter had been at Hummel Park 
and had been putting back a few beers along the way. Then, at around 10.30 that evening, Harold got into his car and drove out of the park, turning on to River Road. He was driving about 60 miles an hour and was going rather recklessly, swerving into even the other lane. On the other side of the road was a vehicle pulling what is known as a hay rack wagon behind it. And if you're not sure what that is, think of one of the trailers with seats in it that you would sit on in a hayride. The driver was pulling 30 students from the local university behind him and had stopped on the side of the road that evening. While he was stopped, some of the students were milling around on the side of the road. Harold, in the meantime, was driving towards them, and when he got to them, he swerved at the last second, but ended up hitting the left side of the hayrack wagon. One of the students named Freddie Freeland was behind the hayrack wagon when it happened, and he suffered some pretty severe injuries when Harold's vehicle ran into the wagon. He was actually found 36 feet down the road behind the haystack in the middle of the street. Unfortunately, Freddie did eventually succumb to his injuries and is no longer with us. This death is 100% factually true. It did happen. But it is only actually tied to Hummel Park because this is where Harold was and had gotten drunk. The issue is that Freddie's death didn't actually happen at Hummel Park. The only ties it has to Hummel Park are that Harold was there, he had gotten drunk there, and he had driven within a few miles of the park. But at the time the accident happened, Harold was miles down River Road. So this death didn't happen in Hummel Park, so I doubt Freddie would be tied to the park haunting in his death. Though, 1983 brings us to the first actual event that happened in Hummel Park and could very well be why screams emanate all around. Laura LaPointe lived in Omaha, Nebraska and was a local sex worker in the area. In April of 1983, someone walking by the area spotted Laura on the side of the road. Though, it wasn't her anymore it was her body. She was found having been severely beaten and was fully nude, and her body had just been unceremoniously thrown into a ditch in the woods near Hummel Park. But her body wasn't alone. Next to her was an empty bottle of brandy and a large tree limb that was about six feet long. After some police investigation, it was found that four other sex workers had been drinking, had picked up Laura, and wanted to rob her. The problem is, they were severely disappointed when they found out that Laura only had $25 on her. The four women, who were kind of drunk and most of them on drugs at that point, decided that they were going to take out their frustrations on her. So they sexually assaulted Laura and threatened her with a razor in an alleyway. Eventually, they drove Laura into Hummel Park, 
where the foursome brutally beat her with a large tree limb and a baseball bat that they had in their car. When she was gone, they threw her body into a ditch like she didn't matter at all. Like she didn't have people that loved her, people she had loved. This was just a senseless crime and may have left Laura's spirit trapped in Hummel Park. Her screams against her attackers may be ringing in the woods at night, which is why you hear the screams echoing, the footsteps trying to get away. It's a sad case, and if it is her, I hope that this is just a residual haunting and that her spirit was able to go somewhere more peaceful. Let's fast forward almost a decade to the year 1992, where another horrific event happened in Hummel Park. 17-year-old Jeremy Herman was a close friend to 15-year-old Jeremy Drake. For the remainder of this story, I will refer to Jeremy Drake by his last name only so as not to confuse the two boys with the same first name. Though they had been close at one point, their relationship soured when Jeremy thought that Drake had stolen a sound system out of his car. On October 8th of 1992, Jeremy called Drake and asked him to meet him at a local gas station so that they could get together and smoke some weed. Before meeting Drake, though, Jeremy picked up his 19-year-old friend, Christopher Matthews. Drake had asked to borrow a sawed-off shotgun from Christopher, but Christopher refused to give it to him, but did bring it along for the ride, just in case. They ended up meeting Drake at a local gas station, and Drake hopped into the back seat of the car where things quickly went south. They drove to another local park called Hanscom Park, where Christopher immediately pulled the shotgun on Drake and started asking him about the sound system that he had stolen from Jeremy. Well, Drake began crying, saying, I didn't do it. But then Christopher started slapping him, threatening him with a gun if he didn't admit to it. So eventually, Drake named another person who had stolen the sound system from Jeremy. They investigated that, but it didn't pan out, so they drove over to Hummel Park. While they drove there, Jeremy and Christopher were talking about whether to release or kill Drake. The poor kid must have been terrified listening to this back and forth. I mean, he was just a 15-year-old high school student. When they got to Hummel Park, Jeremy waited by the car while Christopher directed Drake to go up to one of the observation areas called Lookout Point. Drake had no choice but to go up the path as his only other option was facing the shotgun. Jeremy stayed behind, standing by the car, waiting for the two guys to come back so he could hear Drake's confession. Instead, what Jeremy heard was a gunshot echoing through the trees. He ran up the trail and Christopher told him that he'd accidentally shot Drake and that the kid was gone. Though, there was no accident at all. Christopher was a sick guy. Later that night, Christopher brought up a friend of his to show him Drake's body. And he even bragged about how he made Drake kneel on the ground with his hands behind his head 
before he shot him. I mean, how sick is that? Both Jeremy and Christopher are now serving life sentences in prison. You have to imagine that this spot on the Overlook is filled with negative emotions. But is it filled with anything else? Maybe a residual haunting? Is Drake's spirit still here? Is he accountable for any of the apparitions or sounds? Again, I hope not, but it is possible. But I do hope his spirit has moved on or is with his loved ones. This next account brings us to November 29th of 2005. Amber Harris was your typical 12-year-old little girl. She had finished another day of 7th grade and was gearing up for the upcoming Christmas break from school. Amber got off the school bus and started walking home, and that was the last her family or anyone ever heard or saw from Amber. A missing person report was filed and the police were called in and eventually even the FBI helped investigate her disappearance. For months, the family was forced to mourn that their daughter was missing. They were faced with accusations against her father and were bombarded by the media. Then, six months after she disappeared, on May 11th of 2006, something was found. Two men hiking stumbled upon human remains that were half buried in Hummel Park. Eventually, the remains were determined to be those of Amber. Their 12-year-old little girl was gone. The man who had perpetrated the crimes was caught and tried. He had sexually assaulted Amber and then killed her by hitting her over the head so hard that her remains showed a hole in her skull. This monster had a repeated past with this behavior and was walking our streets. And this poor girl paid the price. Her remains were found deep in the woods, off the beaten path. I wonder if her spirit remained here, seeking justice for what had happened to her. I hope that now with her killer being tried for her murder, her spirit can rest easy and go in peace. I do have one last loss of life in Hummel Park, and that is of 16-year-old David Murillo. In February of 2008, he was driving through Hummel Park when he somehow lost control of his car. The car crashed through some trees and slid down an embankment. During the crash, David was thrown from the car and died in Hummel Park. I've covered a lot of heavy topics in this episode so far. We've gone over a ton of legends and some horrible, tragic events that did happen here in the park. But does any of this make the park haunted? Many articles will point you in the direction of four reporters from the Daily Nebraskan who went to investigate the report. The articles make it sound quite ominous. But if you read the reports from the four reporters, they didn't see anything and all of them remain skeptical to this day. So let's look over the facts. Haunted reports have been covered here for over 70 years or longer. 
but we don't even have a documented event that could account for these haunted occurrences till less than 40 years ago. There are four known deaths in this park who could be continuing the paranormal events, but again, I hope not. And if they are, I hope it's just a residual haunting and that they can be remembered not for their hauntings, but for who they were in life. This is a pretty secluded and dense forest that can be creepy, with many legends and tales continuing to this day. You just have to be the one to decide if you believe in the albino cannibals and satanic cults, or if you believe it's a park that had some terrible tragedies but brings joy through camps, events, and outdoor fun. And the last question is, did you enjoy this episode? If you did, make sure you rate and follow this podcast wherever you tune in as it helps this podcast move forward and you can be alerted when the new episode is ready. I will be posting pictures and links associated with this story, including those of the morphing stairs and different outlooks. So follow Paranormal Exposed on social media so you can get more of this and past future stories. You can follow on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, or you can always shoot an email over to paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.